Now, there's something strange that happens on Christmas morning. Maybe the Shadwicks discovered it this morning. I think maybe their family's a bit old for this, uh, this phenomenon that I remember. Um, your one and two-year-old gets the beautifully wrapped present, uh, the gift you've carefully selected, making sure it's educationally sound, safe, fun, age-appropriate. They finally open the wrapping paper and the box. They take one look at the present, throw the present aside and start playing with the wrapping. Uh, it's so, the wrapping amuses them for the rest of the day. Uh, the paper, it's so bright and colourful and it makes a great noise. And Then there's the big box that's perfect for playing games with. You can hide in it and you can open the flaps. Who cares about the present? It ends up getting pushed to one side and forgotten. Let's call that a child's view of Christmas. Uh, it's focusing on the wrapping and forgetting about the gift. And yet it's not just kids that do that, is it? Uh, adults do it as well. Uh, Christmas is so busy. We wrap up Christmas with so many extras, so many traditions and expectations and events. Uh, Christmas cards to write. Does anyone still do Christmas cards? Anyone st a few? A few still do Christmas cards, yes. Uh, there's food to buy and prepare and don't forget to eat. Uh, presents to buy and wrap, Christmas lights to install, Christmas trees to decorate. There are the end of year breakup parties to organise and attend, the family get togethers, uh, the holidays. There's so much wrapping around Christmas. We forget about the present, the gift, the reason for the season. Uh, so let's not have a child's view of Christmas. Let's put aside the wrapping for a few moments and consider the wonder the wonder of the greatest gift of all. The wonder that God would send his only son, eternal, one with the Father, who steps into time and space and becomes God with us, who lives with us, dies amongst us, is raised to life to bring us back to God. He doesn't come as a powerful warrior or ruler. He, he comes as a helpless humble baby. It was such an extraordinary, wonderful, in the true meaning of that word, wonderful event, it should make us shake our heads in, in wonder and amazement. It should make us forget the wrapping and instead rejoice and worship Jesus, give praise to God for him and then offer ourselves afresh to him in gratitude. It certainly amazed Mary uh, did you notice her reaction right there at, near the end of the reading, verse 19? It said, but Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. She stored them away. She considered them. Gabriel's visit to her, her divine pregnancy, uh, the promise that her baby boy would rule an eternal kingdom following his ancestor, King David. And then on top of that, the visit from the shepherds who'd spoken about a sky full of angels singing glory to God because the Messiah had been born, God's long-promised rescuer. And somehow all of those events were focused on this little baby that she held in her arms. Mary's son, but also God's son. No wonder she, she stored those memories away to understand them and appreciate them. 
Let's do the same. It's a familiar story for most of us. Let's not give in to that temptation of jumping too quickly over the details because we think we know them. Uh, the chapter begins, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It's a fantastic, difficult-to-believe story, and yet it's set solidly in history. Caesar Augustus, emperor of Rome. He ruled, the history books tell us, from 31 BC to 14 AD. And his local representative is that, uh, that one whose name people have been stumbling over for many Christmases, Quirinius. Uh, it's a tough one. Well done this morning, Don. You did a good job. Uh, if I know Don, he's practised it. Yes. Uh, so Caesar Augustus and Quirinius. Uh, the major event uh, of the time was this empire-wide census. Uh, Caesar was using the census to raise taxes, to build his army, but God was using it to fulfil the prophecy in Micah 5 that his Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, in the city of David. So verse 4, we find out that Joseph and Mary, who live in Nazareth at the far northern end of Israel, and yet their ancestors live in, uh, come from Bethlehem, which is at the southern end of Israel. And so that's where, where they travel from one end of Israel to the other. And uh, there's no mention of donkeys, by the way, but, you know, we'll just... Perhaps they did. Perhaps they walked. We don't know. Uh, and they arrive, verse 7, she gives birth to her miraculous baby. That's normal enough, uh, but here's the unusual part. There's no room in the inn, so she wraps him and places him in a manger, an animal feeding trough. It's hard to imagine anyone born in such humble beginnings, uh, let alone God's only son who'd been seated in heaven from all eternity. Uh, this, to be born and placed in a manger would be the last thing anyone would choose. Uh, but what appeared humble quickly showed its true character. God was not going to let such an earth-shattering event pass completely unnoticed. Uh, apart from the star, which Matthew's Gospel tells us about, uh, verse 8, Luke tells us about the shepherds. It's night time, there are not many witnesses. Uh, there's only a few who are up and, and one of the, the shepherds who, who've drawn the short straw and have to watch the sheep. Uh, they're caring for their flock. Verse 9, God sends an angel to tell them the news. Uh, and we're told God's glory shone around them. <laughs> the floodlights are turned on. Can you imagine that? Maybe have a few... Uh, a few campfires, but then all of a sudden it's like all a, a field full of four-wheel drives just shine their big spotlights on these poor group of shepherds. It's beautiful, but terrifying at the same time. So the angel said to them, verse 10, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Go and meet him. He'll be easy to spot, verse 12. He's the only baby in Bethlehem in a manger. Uh, then verse 13, one angel becomes a whole army or perhaps a whole choir. Uh, they praise God and they sing the first Christmas's first Christmas carol. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. This is fantastic news. It's news that's worth singing about. They're singing because of how that first angel describes the baby. Verse 11, he will be a saviour. 
a saviour. Now that's a title that the Jews used for God and God alone. All through history, it was God who saved his people. So somehow this new baby is connected with the God who saves. Secondly, the angel announces that he is the Christ. Uh, that's the Greek translation for the Hebrew word Messiah. God's chosen, God's anointed, God's instrument who fulfills God's purposes. Now the third title the angel declares is Lord. Uh, now this is really the most staggering. Already in a little over one chapter, Luke has used the title of Lord nearly 20 times to refer to God. And here he uses this same word to refer to the tiny baby Jesus, this helpless human. Saviour, Christ and Lord. All three titles incredibly reveal that somehow this is God himself lying in the manger. God with skin. The all-powerful creator of the universe lying there completely helpless and dependent on his mother. It's almost impossible to understand. But this is the central truth of Christianity. If you had to come up with one, this, this is my vote for the central one. It's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Jesus is God and man. Not one that looks like the other, not one first and then one later, but both God and man. And if we include what the angel choir sing, then we get some idea about what this God-man has come to do. Verse 14, the angels declare peace to men on whom God's favour rests. Peace, I think, works at a few levels. Jesus comes to bring peace with God. He comes to save us from God's wrath. He bears God's just punishment for our sins so that we might be forgiven and restored. Peace with God. Now once that happens, there, there is a, a feeling of peace for those of us who know that forgiveness. Peace to know that our sin has been dealt with and then a contentment as we go through life, knowing that our biggest problem has been solved. But then as Jesus continues to work in people and, and change their nature, he brings peace between people, between families and between nations. And this peace that Jesus brings, it's more than just a part-time peace. I wonder how often you've heard the phrase, Christmas is that time of year where we need to try and get along. At the time when we need to spread a little Christmas cheer. That's what all the TV Christmas specials are about. But what that means, I guess, is that once Christmas is over, you can get back to your normal selfish behaviour. You only need to be nice for one day of the year. Perhaps that's why they call it Boxing Day. You get back to your usual behaviour. Well, no, that's not the peace that Jesus brings. It's not one day a year. It, it, it's a strong, consistent, resilient, eternal peace. A peace that doesn't depend on the calendar or on external circumstances. That is a peace that Jesus offers. Is that a peace that you know? It's certainly a peace that our world needs at the moment, isn't it? The Romans enforced peace... Uh, they enforced it at the end of a spear. It was even a Latin term for it. It was called the Pax Romana, 
the Roman peace, the Roman law. They enforced that peace with crucifixion and whips. It was tough justice. Rebels were squashed. Nations and states were encouraged to come under the umbrella of this Roman law. But it wasn't real peace, was it? It was a shadow of peace, an appearance of peace. It wasn't genuine. Nations and individuals still hated one another. They just kept quiet about it because of fear. And yet in the midst of that worldwide Roman peace, Jesus is born the true peacemaker. The one who brings peace between us and God now. The one who will one day bring peace between people everywhere. That's the gift God offers you this Christmas. It's the wonder of Christmas. Free, uh, free peace, signed and sealed. You can accept that offer of peace, of forgiveness, in the gift of God's Son, Jesus. When you peel away the wrapping, all the ribbon and the paper and the tinsel, when you take off the box, that is the gift that Jesus will save his people from their sins and give us peace. That's great news. It's news that's worth rejoicing over. It's news worth spreading that's what the, the shepherds did. They visited Jesus and Mary and Joseph and then verse 17, they went out and shared the amazing news. And then verse 20, they went back to their lives and they continued to glorify and praise God for all they'd seen and heard. Now that's how we should respond as well as we head off into the rest of our lives. Once Christmas is over and the excitement dies down and the wrapping ends up in the recycling bin, go back to your everyday life and live in a way that gives thanks to Jesus who gives us peace. To the God who provides him as the best, most generous, most valuable gift ever. Don't be like children who focus on the wrapping and forget the gift. Focus on the gift the gift of Jesus. Rejoice in him and celebrate him. Uh, wonder at God's goodness and then share that good news with those you love. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Help us to see him, to trust him, to rejoice in him and to wonder at him. Thank you for the peace that he gives. Might our world know that peace more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.